Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Um, of course, the time has changed, so for some of you, this is probably a little different time than we're used to. It's still uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time, um, but I know everyone's still getting used to the time change. That's never fun, uh, unless you live in Arizona and it doesn't affect us. So um, Anyway, um, thank you all for uh, joining us today. This is our What's Up webcast, if you've never joined us before. Uh, we do this every Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. And we do everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to imaging techniques to uh, whatever. Anything that's really related to astronomy, we try to make this fun, um, especially throughout this year uh, with everybody being stuck at home. Uh, that's really how this was born, and now it's kind of grown into its own thing. So. Um, if you've joined us before, thanks for watching and joining us again. Um, and of course, if you're joining us for the first time, thanks. Um, if, of course, with all of our What's Up webcasts, um, if you miss it or there's something you want to go back and check out, uh, they are, um, sorry, they are all recorded on our YouTube channel. So you can always go back to the Skywatcher uh, USA YouTube channel and check out any of our previous episodes um, as well uh, as you can see kind of what our schedule is we have everything scheduled till the end of the year um, so you can see what all of our new uh, up-and-coming topics are gonna be and um, of course if you like the channel and you kind of want to be kept up on content that's available um, we appreciate if you subscribe to the channel it just keeps you up to date and if we release new content you'll be the first to know about that as well um, if there's ever anything that you want us to cover that we haven't covered or you have a question about the What's Up webcast, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Just title your uh, email What's Up and uh, let us know. Uh, we're happy to do questions, comments. I don't do concerns. You can throw that one out the door. Um, but yeah, go ahead and email us there if you have any questions or there's a topic you want us to check out um, that we haven't done so far. Um, so this week is kind of a new thing we're going to start doing every month. Um, at the, the first Friday of every month, we're going to be doing a what's up in the night sky for that month. Um, I know we, we talk a lot about equipment, which is fine, um, and techniques and stuff, but we, we want to start incorporating more of the real reason we're doing this hobby is astronomy we're all interested either in the night sky or what's up you know on the sun or what have you we're all interested in this hobby and why not get a refresher or some ideas about what's up in the sky for this month so we're going to start doing that um, that'll be the first friday episode of every month uh, we'll do a what's up in the sky for that month of course, our last Friday of every month is our special guest speakers. And then whatever is left over in the middle there, we'll fill it in with different topics related to equipment and such. So just to give you kind of our schedule of how we think about things, uh, there's going to be probably some cool new stuff coming next year and, and our coming uh, video, uh, our coming webcast in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about our plans for 2021 and uh, things like that. So definitely uh, stay tuned with us and we'll, we'll let you know on what's going on. So 
anyway let's get started here um, if you have any questions you can put them in the chat I'll try to get to them normally we wait until the end to get to anything but if there's something on the particular topic at the time that we're talking about go ahead and type it in there I'll try to get that answered for you all right so uh, let's get going so let's start with our night sky and you know it's November uh, we are in autumn, so we have all kinds of uh, objects. We are transitioning from the summer sky um, objects and constellations. So, you know, we're still in the early evening. You're still able to see Sagittarius. Um, Ophiuchus is starting to set out there in the west, but still high in the sky. You've, you've got the summer triangle um, up here. Uh, that's uh, Vega. Neb Altair, you've got that summer triangle going on, and with that, you've still got Cygnus and Lyra and Volpeca. Um, Hercules is still floating out there, so there's still a lot of cool summertime targets, and we're going to go over some of those in this webcast today. Um, but you still got quite a bit of time, not quite a bit, you still have got some time if you want to go out and view some of those popular summertime objects that sit high up in Cygnus. Um, and some of the other constellations as well. Um, and then, of course, rising in the east, we have many of those popular fall objects starting to, you know, Perseus is coming up, Cassiopeia and Cepheus are already very high in the sky. There's a lot of really stunning objects in the Cassiopeia-Cepheus region, um, especially if you're an astrophotographer. There's all kinds of weird uh, dark nebula um, and some challenging wide field targets in there. And then, of course, you know, everyone's favorite, you've got the Andromeda Galaxy coming up with Andromeda. Um, Pegasus has got some cool stuff in there. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff that's visible this time of year. And we're going to kind of go over, you know, those various things and some cool things to give a shout out um, over the next several weeks. Um, but just to start out with the basic, let's talk about the, the big bright thing in the sky, and that's, of course, the moon. Um, so the moon this month is going to go through its phases, just like it does every other month. Um, but, uh, for example, new moon this, this month is November 15th, so next weekend. Um, so your dark sky weekend, your dark sky outing, if you don't already have it planned or you want to get out, and do some dark sky observing is going to be next week in the 14th and the 15th. Um, you could still go out uh, this weekend if you wanted to. Um, and even the weekend after, um, there's going to be kind of a bright moon. I don't know if we'll be uh, quite um, to first quarter there yet um, as we move towards Thanksgiving, at least here in the U.S. Um, but you'll still be able to get, there's quite a bit of dark time uh, to get out and start viewing or imaging or whatever uh, floats your boat. Um, but the dark sky weekend for this, this month is the 14th and the 15th. Now, of course, the full moon is November 30th, uh, so following up the month uh, there. And then we also have a penumbral lunar eclipse on November 30th, and that's um, going to be visible in North America, South America, Northeast Asia, uh, as well as Japan. Uh, the Pacific region, um, so like Hawaii and all the, you know, South Pacific Island regions, and of course Australia. 
and New Zealand area. So that's going to be a penumbral lunar eclipse on the 30th. Now, I'd say that just to be transparent, but penumbral eclipses are really, they're not all that's cracked up to be. Um, this is from NASA. Uh, they have these for, our, for all different eclipses. So you can see a penumbral is where it just goes into the penumbra uh, or the outer shadow of what would be the eclipse shadow. So you're not going into the actual umbra of Earth. You're not going to get that deep red um, eclipse that we all love to view and photograph. This one's just going to kind of glide through uh, that outer shadow there and it might get a little darker. Uh, you might not really notice much of a change, but it's something to check out. That's on the 30th. Um, I'll ha you have to check how uh, the time is going to equate for your location. I'm not exactly sure when it takes place exactly for each location, but you can you can check that out using you know various apps like Sky Safari, or you can go onto NASA's Eclipse uh, page right there. It tells you all about it. Um, but that's going to be visible. Um, for a good chunk of the globe. Um, Europe, unfortunately, will not get it. But like I said, this is a pretty minor uh, lunar eclipse. A penumbral lunar eclipse is, you might notice a difference photographically, but it's not going to be Earth shattering. But there is an eclipse uh, of the moon on November 30th uh, for that. So, and with that, of course, uh, eclipses happen on the full moon. So being that the full moon is on the 30th for this month. Uh, this is known as the beaver moon. Um, if you're not aware, every full moon has a name. Uh, those are generally rooted in uh, folklore or Native American um, uh, scheduling or calendars uh, for the year, at least here in North America, I'm sure globally um, in different cultures and different regions. There are different names for the moon, um, but being here in North America, um, a lot of the lunar names um, are situated from Native American tribes, um, and they're given names for, you know, various reasons throughout the year, um, and the names can be changed from area to area. Um, this is normal. It gets its name from the beavers finishing uh, preparations for winter, so they're getting ready to hibernate and get out of the cold. Um, so that's why the beaver moon is known uh, this way in November. Um, some other names that come up for this guy are the deer rutting moon, the digging moon, the frost moon. Um, the, I forgot the reason for the deer rutting moon. That was the first time I've ever heard it. The digging moon is for, you know, uh, some animals that are starting to dig their burrows for the winter. And of course the frost moon is because things are starting to get a little bit nippy outside this time of year. So that's the full moon uh, for this month. Again, November 30th, there is a penumbral lunar eclipse if you want to try to check that out. Um, so kind of some fun stuff right there uh, for the month of November. But again, that is at the end of the month uh, this year. So button right up into almost December at that point. Of course, right now we've got planets galore in the nighttime sky. Uh, you know, we've got five visible evening planets right now. So if you're into solar system objects like the, the planets, now is the time to get out because we've got Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Mars, and Uranus. Um, that is in order 
from west to east, um, which ones are setting first to last. So you've kind of got a good collection of planets to check out right now. Um, and pretty much almost any size telescope will work, but we'll go into a little bit more detail on each one of those. Um, all of these planets are visible just after sunset, about 8 p.m. in the evening, uh, or 20 hours if we're actually going off of a uh, 24-hour time clock. Uh, the first planet, of course, is the brightest right now. It's uh, high up in the western, southwestern sky. That's going to be Jupiter. Um, this is very nicely seen in any size telescope. Um, the Galilean moons, those four large moons, are easily seen in binoculars or even, you know, something like a 50 millimeter, uh, just under, just over two inch telescope. Um, if you've got a larger telescope, however, you know, you're going to get all kinds of detail on that. You can get the red spot. Uh, you might be able to see some transits where the moons kind of go across the, the front of the planet doing like an eclipse. Um, casting their shadows on there. Uh, there should be various transits. There's different apps you can see uh, when transits are gonna be for your location. But that's really neat to see. Um, and this is visible till about 9.30, and of course it's gonna be setting uh, earlier and earlier as the month goes on. But you know we can take a look at that real quick. So uh, here we go, here's Jupiter right up here. Uh, this is right about, this is six, about 6.30 in the evening. So, um, oops, a little bit too fast there. So you can see Jupiter is Jupiter's setting about 9.30 um, right now in the early part of the month, and it's gonna get progressively earlier as the month goes on, because we're, we're pretty much finishing up with the Jupiter uh, season right now. So if you wanna get out and wanna view Jupiter right now, um, now is the time to do that. Um, because we are starting to lose it uh, along with the, the summer constellations. So Jupiter is definitely one to check out right now. Now, of course, trailing not far from Jupiter is Saturn. And Saturn is, you know, for so many people is the wow, you know, planet because you get to see the rings. Uh, again, this is visible in pretty much any size telescope, but if you want to see the rings, you really need like a 50 millimeter refractor, 50 millimeter telescope, or high power binoculars. Even in binoculars, unless you've got the really high-end fancy ones, you can change the eyepieces in and stuff like that. Um, it's going to look like a grain of rice, kind of an extended object uh, in something like that. So you really need a telescope. Uh, if you want to get some of its moons, you'll need probably about a three inch telescope or 80 millimeter. Um, and then of course, larger telescopes, you're gonna start getting details in the rings, cloud bands and other uh, details in the planet itself. It's still a pretty good time to catch it uh, for visual and imaging purposes, um, but you're gonna have to be ready to go right about dusk uh, to get those images of Jupiter and Saturn because they're not too far from each other. Um, now there is a, really rare conjunction of these two that are going to happen right around Christmas. Um, we'll be discussing that next uh, uh, next month's What's Up in the Night Sky uh, episode. We'll be talking about that really rare conjunction that's going to be coming along. That's going to be kind of the highlight of December as far as celestial uh, objects go. So uh, we're not quite done with the planets, uh, Jupiter and Saturn yet, but they are still uh, visible. But you are going to see 
Um, they are pretty close to each other right now, but over the course of, you know, the next, um, let me see if I could do yeah, maybe not. I'll have to set the um, set this up a little bit. Um, but over the next couple of sorry, fine. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to notice that Jupiter and Saturn are going to be getting more, closer and closer to one another, and it's really going to come to um, quite a showcase as we get towards uh, late December, around the 25th. 24th, you know, holiday um, area. But over the next couple of weeks, you are going to notice that as these two set in the West, they're going to progressively get closer and closer to each other, ultimately ending up in that uh, conjunction in December, which we'll talk about uh, next month. So uh, now is definitely the time to check out Jupiter and Saturn. They're still high enough uh, around dusk to get some really nice views and some images of those. That's not quite done yet. Um, so do get out there and check it out because um, we are getting uh, we are going to start losing them as uh, the month goes on and they start setting earlier um, in the evening. Now, the another planet that's up right now is Neptune. This is probably the most challenging of all the the standard planets. Uh, you really need a telescope for Neptune, uh, probably about a five inch, if not bigger. Uh, telescope. I really like Neptune. I think Neptune's kind of cool uh, because it's a little bit more challenging to to grab than the naked eye planets. Um, even in a, a telescope, that can be difficult to see because it does because of how far away it is. Um, it's going to be harder to get that spherical planet uh, look. It is kind of a darker blue as well. So what's neat is you will see the color change. Um, from that compared to like the outlying stars. Um, this is probably visible, it's just after dusk, but it's highest around 8.30. Um, and it's fine, it should be right up in here. But Neptune is one of the planets that you can grab right now. Um, it's, so uh, right now I believe it's in the constellation Aquila. Um, so that's that's kind of a cool one if you want to kind of stretch it and go deep for the solar system. Uh, Neptune is up. It's not too terribly far from Mars visually in the nighttime sky. Um, but you can see it's actually nice and high, you know, right about 830. So that's a, that's a really cool one to see. Uh, the more aperture you throw on it, the more easier it'll be able to be to find so if you got like an 8 inch or 10 inch or bigger telescope no problem um, you just got to pay attention to what you're viewing of course if you have a go-to telescope which just Neptune and goes off and finds it um, so that's that's gonna be a fun planet to go check out as well um, obviously it's a lot more challenging than Jupiter and Saturn are gonna be but you know we're several billion miles away from Earth with Neptune. So definitely go out and check it out. It's in the constellation. I'm sorry. It's in the constellation of Aquarius. Um, so, you know, definitely uh, go check that out. Um, if you're looking for something challenging to do from the backyard, it is doable in most backyard scenarios with probably about a six inch to eight inch telescope. Not much of a problem. You are going to need some magnification though, if you want to get it to look more like a planet 
um, and not just a dot. So try to get to that 150 power arena, um, depending on the scene conditions. You're not going to see a whole heck of a lot on it because it's so far away, um, but you will get to see that blue tone to it. Um, if you're really lucky, you might catch some of the moons, especially if you're trying to photo or shoot it with a camera, something like that. So uh, Neptune is a, a fun planet to uh, observe. Now, probably the crown jewel of the planets right now is Mars. Uh, Mars, obviously, has been putting on quite a show over the last month or so. It is starting to move away from us um, and lose uh, its size as well as its brightness. So uh, the earlier in the month you can get it, like right now, your view is going to be probably considerably better than what it's going to be at the end of the month because Mars is going to be moving away from us quite a bit. Um, it's going to lose that size. It'll still be impressive towards the end of the month, but it's it's going to shrink down in size as it moves away from us. Um, obviously, our close approach was last month, so it's already moved off quite a bit from what it was last month. But if you still want to get some views of the ice caps and dark detail, now's the time to do it because as November continues on, it's going to get smaller and smaller, and those details are going to be harder to see. Um, this is plain as day in the high in the eastern sky uh, just after sunset. It's got that real pretty, you know, almost pumpkin rust red, uh, rusty orange color. Um, it's nearly impossible to miss. It's the brightest thing in that part of the sky. Um, you can still get a nice view with it with like a 3-inch telescope. I was using one of our EvoStar 72s, and I was able to get some nice dark detail on it. So... Um, but you do, if you can get up to about 200 power, I find that Mars is really receptive if you're doing 200 magnification. So uh, definitely get out um, and check it out because it's we are going to start losing Mars and we're not going to get it back until an impressive view of it until, you know, two years from now. So around 2022 um, is when we'll get Mars again. So if you want to catch Mars and you still want to get a good view of it, now's the time. Uh, to bust out that telescope, go check it out um, and try to capture some images because it's going to get progressively dif more difficult as November continues on. Uh, wrapping up the last set of the plants is uh, Uranus. Uh, yep, get all your jokes out now. Um, we've heard all of them. Uh, Uranus is rising in the east. It's trailing Mars. Um, uh, it's visible at about 7.30 p.m. and it's highest around 10 p.m., um, you can see this in a 3-inch telescope. Uranus is really cool because as far as it is, um, it's a heck of a lot easier to identify than Neptune. Uh, Uranus is clearly a little blue sphere uh, floating out in the vastness of space. And it's, I think it's really neat, especially when you're sharing it with like friends or family, because everyone's so accustomed to seeing the moon and... Uh, Jupiter and Saturn and Mars and Venus and all the, the major planets, uh, the easy-to-see planets. But Uranus is one that, because of how far it is, you don't see it come up too much. I like showing this at outreach events when the world is normal um, because of how far it is and the fact that it still can look like a planet. It's, it's a fun one to go take a look at. You don't need a very big telescope to see it. So like I said, it is trailing behind Mars. So here's Mars up here in Pisces, uh, right up in here. 
uh, big, bright, plain as day. And then, of course, here's Uranus and Aries uh, trailing it um, a little bit. So it's about halfway between the Pleiades and Mars is where Uranus currently sits. So that's a fun one to do. You can do it in a light polluted location. Um, adding a little bit of magnification in your telescope will definitely give you that size difference. So it'll, it'll look more like a planet. But uh, even on a basic, you know, low magnification, if you're panning through that field and you run across it, you'll notice that all the stars are dots, but Uranus will actually look more like a planet. It'll look larger and more spherical. Um, in there so it's definitely a cool planet to go check out um like that so it's it's definitely worth checking out so that kind of wraps up the planets that we have now uh, that are visible in the evening skies uh, for november of course if you get up really early in the morning um you'll eventually uh, get venus um coming up that's really bright in the morning sky right now but you know right now we're just talking about the the evening sky at the moment um but those are the planets that we're able to see right now um if you're going to go out uh for the evening those are what you're going to probably be running into are those five planets let me just pan back here to more there we go cool now one thing I want to bring up right now, of course, is the sun. We've been talking about the sun a lot lately with the past several webcasts about filters and equipment and how to do it safely and blah, 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 blah. Um, the sun right now is starting to move back in to towards maximum. It's, a, it's just starting that upward slope, but we'll notice over the next couple of years that the activity is going to start kicking up. Um, this week... For instance, the activity has kicked up a bit. Um, there is a very large active region on the sun right now. This is AR2781. Um, this has some very large flares. Uh, solar flares are generally measured in A, B, C, I think it's M class and X class flares. I believe that's the five um, existing uh, flare levels. Uh, this guy right here, AR2781, has been throwing out, you know, high power B and C class flares. It's very active. Um, so you can actually easily see this with a small telescope and a white light filter. You don't know what a white light filter is, go back to our solar filter episode. We talk all about that. Um, very easy to see in a small telescope. Um, if you have a larger telescope with a white light filter, there's a lot of complexity in this uh, active region. Uh, so it's very cool to see all kinds of detail. And there's been some really dramatic images that have come out of people taking pictures of, of this. Of course, if you have a hydrogen alpha telescope or a solar filter like what you see right here, this is hydrogen alpha. Um, this is a very detailed, very complex uh, region to view. So, um, it's probably going to be up there for at least a week as it transitions across the, the sun. So if you have solar filters and you've got some clear skies, I would recommend getting out and taking a look at this uh, because this is probably the biggest region that we've seen in quite a while. And it's it's got some potential to, to show off a little bit of what the sun is capable of doing. Um, so if you've got a white light filter, that's great. If you've got a hydrogen alpha filter, even better because I've been watching it the last two days and it's 
been very impressive, the detail that you can see, even a small hydrogen alpha telescope or filter set. Um, but again, as always with the sun, please make sure you're using caution and the right equipment to use uh, when viewing the sun. And if you don't know anything about that, we just did a bunch of web episodes on all of that. So there's no reason you shouldn't know how to view the sun safely at this point. Um, and of course, this is just for the next uh, week or so for this sunspot. Eventually, it'll wrap back around. But the sun is so dynamic, you never really know what's coming. So observing the sun is fun because it changes every day. Now, meteor showers. Uh, so for the month of November, we actually have two meteor showers. Uh, the first one is the Northern Torrids. Uh, this takes place on the 11th and 12th, and which is nice. Um, and this one's about 5 to 10 meteors per hour. It's not anywhere near uh, the bigger one, but it, it is one. Uh, but this one is known for some really bright fireballs. Um, so if you've got like an all-sky camera, you want to do some cool time-lapse stuff overnight, you might catch some pretty neat, um, you know, objects or shooting stars at that point uh, if you want to get out and check this one out. The nice thing is, is because of how the moon phases are this early in the month, the skies can be relatively dark. So if you are in a darker location, you might benefit more um, by checking out the northern Taurids. And those are obviously coming out of the constellation of Taurus um, right here. Here's the northern Taurids um, right here. They're going to actually um, come out of not far from where the Pleiades is at in the nighttime sky. If you don't know what the Pleiades are, we'll talk about that here in a little while. Um, but that's the first one. That's the northern Taurid uh, meteor shower, and that's going to be visible um, around the 11th and 12th of this month. Now, we have another one, which is the Leonid meteor shower. This one's a bit bigger. Um, this is November 16th and 17th. So if you are going out to a dark sky location on the weekend of the 14th and 15th, you'll probably be able to catch some as that ramps up to the peak on the 16th and the 17th. Um, this is roughly 15 meteors per hour. Um, it is best visible from dark skies. So if you happen to be going to dark skies that time, you might be able to catch some of the Leonid uh, meteor shower. And of course, being Leonids, um, those are going to originate from the constellation of uh, Leo here. And here we go. Um, now this is for tonight, so just ignore uh, the moon. This was on the 5th, this was last. So just ignore the moon here. Um, Leonids are going to be coming out of the upper part of Leo. Uh, this is going to be around 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning till dawn is the best time to see the Leonids at the moment. And those are going to be coming out of the east from the constellation of Leo, thus the name Leonids. And if you're in a darker sky location, you're, you're good to go. I uh, can ignore this one. It's my mistake on a duplicate right there. Uh, now the Milky Way. Um, we're getting into the end of Milky Way season uh, right now. We are really at the tail end of it. Um, let me go back here real quick just to show you because, you know, a lot of people say Milky Way season is the summertime. And that would be true um, if we were, you know, in... If you're just worried about the summer Milky Way. Now the summer Milky Way 
um, is going to run through uh, down here from Sagittarius, Scutum, Aquila, uh, Sagittia, Vulpeca, Cygnus, and then wraps back down into Cassiopeia and into the winter uh, Milky Way on the other side of the sky there. Um, but if you want to check out uh, the Milky Way, now is really the last... Um, figure out if I can change this real quick. Um, now is the last time that you can really get out and photograph uh, the Milky Way. Um, arm is particularly up in Cygnus um, at this point because we are we are out of the summer and that's pretty much when it is. So if you want to get out, do some cool nightscapes with like the planet shining really bright on next to the Milky Way arm, uh, that weekend of the 14th and 15th, that new moon weekend, that's really going to be the last time you're going to be able to get much of it because, as you can see right here, um, it is starting to set. And by, um, you know, let's just move this forward real quick. By, you know, 10 o'clock, uh, 11 o'clock, before midnight, a lot of that Milky Way uh, arm there, that summer arm, is going to disappear um, and give way to more of the autumn, eventually winter uh, constellations as we move into the evening. So uh, definitely, if you want to get out and do some Milky Way photography, the best time to get the last uh, stitch efforts out is the 14th and 15th. Uh, the Milky Way core is pretty much gone, unless you're lucky enough to be super, super south. Um, you know, southern hemisphere practically, then maybe, but um, here in North America, it's pretty much done at that point. But you can still shoot up in Cygnus and all those other regions um, at that point. So this is the uh, probably the last new moon weekend, the 14th and the 15th, that you're going to be able to get out and do some really nice Milky Way stuff because that's pretty much going to wrap up the summer Milky Way season uh, for this year up until, you know, probably March, April, May of 2021 is when that'll come back around so if that's your thing now's the time to get out and do it all right let's get to the serious stuff the stuff everybody likes to do the deep sky targets now there are thousands of deep sky targets out there um being that this is our first uh night sky episode um i want to try to sprinkle objects that are um doable between visual and astrophotography, but also giving challenge targets between, between those two applications as well. Um, so I'm just gonna give you a sprinkling of stuff that's up right now. Um, hopefully in future episodes, I'm gonna try to blend it a little bit more um, from objects that are fun and easy to objects that can be exceedingly challenging for both astrophotography and uh, imaging purposes uh, or visual and astrophotography so uh, right now um, we have the Veil Nebula which is in the constellation of Cygnus uh, this is still high enough right now to where you can get some pretty good time on it before it starts to set um, particularly as we move to the end of November Cygnus is going to start setting more uh, earlier and earlier so the Veil Nebula is this really cool uh, supernova remnant up in uh, Cygnus. If you don't know where it is, you should know where it is because it's one of the coolest targets in the nighttime sky. Uh, let's go back here. 
are we? Okay. Um, so here's Cygnus right up here, and uh, the Veil Nebula is this right off of here. And you can see it right there. It's off of that um, upper wing there, um, off of Cygnus. So you can still get a nice glimpse of that, as long as, as well as all these other complex nebulas like the North American and the Sadir region and the Crescent Nebula and all that. There's still plenty of stuff um, in Cygnus to get a look at. So if you want to shoot anything in Cygnus, you know, over the next couple weeks, now's the time to start hitting it because uh, you'll still have a couple hours uh, in the evenings there to grab a view of those uh, targets. The Veil Nebula being one of those. Uh, so it's a very cool complex region. Um, if you are heading to dark skies, this is an amazing object to see visually. Um, you need probably, um, I've seen it in a three inch telescope if you want to get the whole field. You'll need like an Oxygen 3 or a UHC filter. Um, but larger apertures will be helpful to getting more of the nitty gritty detail in some of the structures and these outer regions uh, right here, particularly in the, the western and the eastern veil, as well as Pickering's Triangle uh, right in here. So um, it's a cool one to see visually, but you will need a little bit of aperture. Um, if you can get up to that six inch size, 150 millimeter, you're, you're starting to get interesting. If you've got someone who's got a big daub, really looks cool. Um, this is a great target if you're into narrowband imaging. Um, this is largely hydrogen. That's what this four panel mosaic is right here. It's a hydrogen alpha filter, a seven nanometer H alpha filter and a monochrome camera on an Esprit 100, I think is what this one was. Um, so this is definitely a cool target to get out and shoot. Um, if you've got narrowband filters or one of those multiband narrowband filters, uh, this is still a really cool target to capture and you've still got plenty of time over the next couple weeks while the moon is down to really hit this nebula. So very cool target to check out while Cygnus is still up, as well as some of the other objects in the region like the Crescent Nebula and the North American Nebula. Um, again, that's all right up in here. Um, it's still pretty high up in the sky after sunset, so you've got at least a couple hours in the evening to you know to capture it so um here's the veil nebula over here of course you have the sadir region with the crescent nebula right here uh you got the tulip nebula down here in cygnus and then of course at the tail down here you've got that big pelican north american region um just off deneb so there's still plenty of time to hit all those targets up and and the Cygnus region um, and finish out that summer imaging project that maybe you never got around to doing so uh, the Veil Nebula being one of them. Now it wouldn't be autumn without the Andromeda Galaxy or M31. Um, this of course is in the constellation of Andromeda thus the name. Um, this is visible high in the eastern sky after sunset almost overhead um, as the evening progresses. Um, this is visible from the light polluted locations and small telescopes. You can see kind of that glowing, you know, core. Um, you might be able to catch some of its companions like M32 and M110. Um, but it's, it's still doable. It's naked eye visible in a dark sky site. And in binoculars, it looks awesome. Um, the extension that you see it when binoculars from a dark sky location is amazing. Um, with the Andromeda Galaxy. 
and it is easily captured with cameras um whether you've got you know like a star adventure and like a 200 millimeter lens or you know a wide field telescope uh the Andromeda Galaxy is a great target if you want to start pushing your tracking systems to doing something a little bit more exotic. So Andromeda is an awesome target to check out. Um, in darker locations with some aperture, you can start to see some of those dust bands. Um, I'd probably say about 12 to 14 inch or bigger scopes in a dark location. Um, you can start to see some of the dust bands in the Andromeda Galaxy visually. So it is a, it's a cool, very complex object to see um, from a dark sky location because there's so much detail. Um, but photographically, it is something you could do, you know, in a moderately light polluted location, you can get a nice shot of it. Um, or in a dark sky location, you can pretty much have at it. Now, of course, Andromeda, like I said, is uh, right up here. There. My computer to listen. There we go. Uh, so M31, the Andromeda Galaxy, um, is in Andromeda. Um, it is almost nearly overhead um, after sunset. But as the night progresses, um, as we get to, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, it is overhead. Um, this is a really nice target right now. If you're looking for an imaging project and you want a considerable amount of time on it, um, Andromeda is in a very good location for a large majority of the night. So if you're looking for like a long-term imaging thing to do over the next couple weeks, you know, try pounding out um, Andromeda. Um, that's kind of a cool one. Of course, I don't have a slide for this, but not far from Andromeda, if you want something a little bit more challenging, you've got M33, uh, the pinwheel galaxy. So that's that's right here not too far from and it's actually kind of opposite the constellation uh, and draw opposite the galaxy andromeda but m33 it's the triangulum galaxy essentially is what it is that's another fun one that's going to be more challenging uh to see visually you'd kind of need dark skies for that uh photographically it can also be kind of an interesting target it's got a lot of hydrogen in it um because of its star forming regions in that galaxy um, so if you got a hydrogen alpha filter, there's some pretty interesting details that come up in M33 because you have all these H2, uh, little H2 regions inside the galaxy. So something kind of neat to see um, uh, as well up in that particular region. But Andromeda is such a staple for the autumn sky. So get out, check that out. Of course, following Andromeda, we have M45. That's the Pleiades cluster in the constellation of Taurus. This is more later in the evening or as the uh, the month progresses on, you're going to see that um, the Pleiades is going to be trailing behind Andromeda as Taurus rises higher. Um, the Pleiades is such a nice object. Um, it looks great almost anywhere. Light polluted locations, you can still get it in binoculars. Um, Dark sky sites, if you've got enough aperture, you can start to see the Marote nebulas um, that are in there, that those faint blue wisps of dust in there. Uh, the Pleiades is really kind of a stunning target to take a look at. Um, this was shot in town from my backyard. Uh, this was with a Hyperstar, uh, Star Arizona C11 Hyperstar arrangement, um, but just a light pollution filter. So the Pleiades, um, 
because it's a star cluster and it has a reflection nebula, um, which means the light that's illuminating the dust is reflected. It's not emitting. There's no filter that really helps you with this. So you'd have to use just a light pollution filter to be in a dark sky and just hit it um, with um, a nice wide field telescope. Visible naked eye about 9 p.m. Um, but as the month progresses, as we move later towards the end of the month, it'll become nice and high. Um, and over the winter, it goes, you know, almost vertical overhead. So if you're looking for a, another long-term imaging project that you want to pound some time on, the Pleiades is one to check out as well. Again, it looks great from a light polluted location, even in small optics like your finder scope or binoculars. Um, it looks awesome as a collection of stars. Um, and of course, if you're in a dark sky location, it's dazzling. It just such an extension of stars out there um, and then of course for photography purposes it's one of the easier targets to the photograph so if you're going to be just getting into imaging or you're looking for something to do that's not milky way photography and you want to push it a little bit more the pleiades is a nice starter um, object very similar to that of the uh, what am i trying to say here very similar to M31, the Andromeda Galaxy, the Pleiades is a very easy target to get started with. Um, understand tracking, understand how to stack images. It's a good target to get your feet wet on how astrophotography needs to work. And of course, that's in Taurus, uh, the bull. Um, it's going to be naked eye visible for most backyards here in North America um, or Northern Hemisphere. Um, you should be able to see the Pleiades. It looks like a, I call it like a micro dipper, um, but very easy to see um, and kind of a fun one to show friends and family if you've got somebody around that wants to take a look at it. So Pleiades is definitely a worthwhile target that's starting to make its appearance back in our skies in November. Okay, let's get to some more challenging stuff. Uh, next one is the galaxy ngc 891 um ngc 891 is in the constellation of andromeda uh this is rising in the east after sunset uh, let me show you kind of where this guy sits get our time warp back here there we go so like i said here's the andromeda galaxy right up here very easy to see um but if you want 891 um, it is down here, um, not far from the star Almac. I don't know if Stellarium's going to show it. Let me see if we can just find it real quick. There you go. Uh, so not far from Almac. Um, right there is NGC 891. Uh, this is a really cool edge-on spiral galaxy that's actually quite... A bit of a challenge to see visually it's got a low surface brightness so if you want to see this darker skies help you could glimpse it in a six inch if you've got more aperture aperture always helps with galaxies but that's a really neat one to see um, is ngc 891 uh, this is a image right here is from adam block in the mount lemon sky center at the university of arizona in tucson um, i believe this was taken with a 24 inch Richie Cretion telescope, which doesn't suck um, to have. Uh, but again, best visible visually um, from a dark sky location um, with apertures probably around 
you could probably glimpse it at six inch. Honestly, if you could get a 12 inch or bigger out there, it becomes really nice to see. Um, it does have a low surface brightness. Photographically, it's it's a little bit more challenging because you're gonna have to stretch um, and stack a lot of images to really get it. You really wanna have a longer focal length or match your sensor up to get the feel for this, but I'd probably recommend something around 800 millimeter-ish, depending on the size of your sensor, of course. Um, you can play around with field of view calculators and stuff, but this is gonna be a cool one. Also, if you're looking for an imaging project over the next couple weeks, NGC 891 is gonna be um, a cool galaxy target um, that you wanna get, you've got plenty of time to, to put time on. So one of my favorite galaxies for this time of year, um, especially if you're looking for something a little bit more challenging. Uh, so let's step over to Cassiopeia. Um, let me try to buzz through some of this real quick. Uh, one of my favorite objects this time of year, NGC 7635 or the bubble. Um, the bubble is a super cool object because of all the detail and the fact that it's got that bubble um, in the middle of the nebula. It's kind of a unique uh, detail to that. Um, this is pretty high in the sky after sunset in the northeast part of the sky. Um, this is a good imaging project to start if you're looking for something to do right now and you want narrowband, the bubble is very reactive to narrowband filters, um, so it's a, it's a cool target to see. Uh, this is very difficult to see visually. You need a very large telescope from dark skies. Um, I'm probably thinking 15 inch or bigger to glimpse just the basics of the nebula, uh, particularly the bubble, the brighter region, like right in here. You could probably glimpse that from dark skies, but you want some serious aperture to really see any kind of other details. It's really more of a photographic object, but um, very easy to do with a H-alpha or narrowband filter that passes H-alpha. Um, it's a cool one to see. It's an excellent target to do from your backyard if you've got some narrowband filters. Um, and that's, again, up in the Cassiopeia uh, region. It's right up in here, actually, so. Um, Anyway, you can, you can take a look at it, but it's up in the Cassiopeia region. Cassiopeia and Cepheus have all kinds of interesting things in them. So if you're looking for some imaging targets that are challenging, definitely check out this particular region um, for that. Uh, another one that's really cool, it's in Cassiopeia. This is Gamma Cass Nebula, IC59, IC63. Um, I really like this nebula. It's very kind of a cool area. Um, it's not far from the bubble, so again, it's visible right after sunset. It is very difficult to see uh, visually. I've done it in a, my C14, 14-inch Macassagrain, um, with, I think, a UHC filter. And even then, it was very faint. Uh, you have to kind of move the telescope back and forth and watch the field move and see what moves. Uh, but if you're looking for a challenge and you've got some dark skies and a decent set of, decent telescope, aperture we're talking 12 inch or bigger um this is a cool one to go after um but it's a excellent imaging target um it is uh quite visible in hydrogen alpha a little bit of o3 in there there's no sulfur in this region so if you're doing a hubble palette image it's not really going to work so um hydrogen alpha like you see here or um hydrogen alpha is really where it's at you can do some color in the region as well but this is a very neat one to see and it's very easy to find because it's actually around uh, the star Navi, 
which is the center star of Cassiopeia. You can see it right there. Um, but yeah, right dead center in the middle of Cassiopeia. Very cool object to, to catch, very easy to find. Um, so check that out. Uh, now, one of the more challenging targets this time of year is called Stefan's Quintet. Uh, Stefan's Quintet is in the constellation of Pegasus. It is a galaxy cluster. Um, very tight galaxy cluster. It's rising in the east after sunset. Gets pretty high, uh, you know, in the sky about 9, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, this is best done in a dark sky location. You probably need at least a 10 inch to glimpse it. Um, if you can get something that's 15, 16 inch with some good magnification, it becomes easier to see. And if you've got a buddy who's got a big daub, yeah, that's where it really comes alive there. So very, very cool uh, region to see. Um, if you are wanting to image it, because this is a galaxy cluster, no filters are going to work. It's just going to be light pollution, RGB, or dark skies. That's your only option to get these out. Um, and you are going to want longer focal length or a bigger image scale because you need to blow this up because it is a tiny object. Um, but it is a cool one to see as well. Uh, let me see if we can find this real quick uh, in Stellarium. Um, and then we'll get to questions. So if you've got any questions right now, now's the time to throw it in the chat. Um, I will try to get to that and uh, we will uh, answer some questions. I know there's some right now. Um, so Stefan's Quintet, like I said, Constellation of Pegasus. I'm not sure what I did with all the stars um, there, but you can see it's not far from the bottom front leg of Stefan's Quintet there. So uh, definitely uh, check that out. Uh, is a very challenging, not super challenging, but it is a challenging target to see visually. It's a fun one if you're looking. It's only, it's 13.6 magnitude. What that basically equates to is you need a 12 inch, 10, 12 inch telescope to do in a decent sky. Not super dark, just a decent sky. Um, if you've got larger aperture, that's also helpful. So, um, that's pretty much it for what's up and there's a ton of other stuff obviously uh get out your you know get out your app you know whatever you've got search the night sky see what's out there um discover something new for yourself so um that's pretty much it for this episode uh if you really like this this is something we're going to do monthly hopefully that gives you something to take a look at um go ahead and subscribe to our channel um and we'll keep up to date with that um and of course, that is uh, the November night sky. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Maybe it gives you a little inspiration to go out and see what's going on in the skies. Um, real quick before I get to questions, next week we're going to talk about Holiday Guide. Um, it's hard to believe that we're already into the holiday season. If you want a telescope or some kind of item for the holidays, now is the time to get it because of all these delays and COVID issues and blah, 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 um, world issues. Um, it can take time to get your stuff. So if you want something, now's the time to place the order for that, whatever it is. Um, but next week we'll go through kind of some cool ideas uh, for the astronomer in your life. Um, just kind of keeping it basic um, or for kids or something like that. You know, we might recommend a couple models, but we really kind of want to just keep it uh, basic, you know, here's what you should look for if you want to do this. So that's next week's episode. If you know someone who might need some help understanding uh, 
what to get or maybe get you um, for this holiday season, uh, we're going to try to do that. So that that's pretty much it for this week's episode. So let's get to questions. If you have questions, go ahead and type it in there. I'll try to get to them. Uh, the first one is, will a reducer flattener for my Skywatcher uh, ST120 reduce chromatic aberration? The CAA isn't that bad and filters work pretty well for it, but looking for another solution. Um, so those short tube Acromat refractors um, are really designed for low power visual work. Uh, I guess you, I don't know, there's no reducer that's going to be used for them. Um, there's, it's such a fast telescope already, there's not really a reducer that would be available um, to make that work at that point. So I, there's not a lot you can really do with it um, at that point. Um, so unfortunately there's not much that can really be done Photographically, you could probably use like a narrow band filter, like a hydrogen alpha filter. That won't care that it's on a, a Acromat refractor. Um, there is different filters that you can get if you want to knock down the, the what am I trying to say here? The chromatic aberration a little bit. Uh, Botter, for example, makes one. I'm trying to bring it up here real quick. Um, you can get it from all kinds of places, but just so you know, this is the Botter Fringe Killer. Uh, there's several other filters that are like this, but the Fringe Killer knocks out chromatic aberration. Um, look at the spectrum here real quick. You see it kind of cuts off um, over in the blue, so it's gonna get rid of some of that chromatic aberration. It can make things look a little bit more yellow with filters like this, but you know, if you wanna add more magnification on like the moon or the planets and you wanna knock down that uh, chromatic aberration, uh, putting a, a filter like this in, in the path can be helpful for something like that. So um, hopefully that answers it. But there's not, those short tube Acromat refractors, um, they're really designed for wide field visual work. Um, you could probably use it for astrophotography, but it's it's not like it's bigger brothers like the, the Esprit 100 or one of these apochromatic refractors uh, that's gonna have better color correction and be designed for photographic use. Uh, next question. Do you think the UHC filter is sufficient to see the bubble nebula with an 8-inch Schmidt? Uh, under very dark skies, possibly. Uh, you might be able to glimpse kind of the brighter region of the bubble nebula. Um, let me see if I can find the bubble nebula real quick. Past all this. So the bubble nebula... There's one particular spot in the bubble that's easily, I say, is easier to glimpse. Uh, right here, I know it's hard to see, right next to the center star area, there's kind of a clump and then this uh, brighter part of the bubble. That's really the portion of the nebula that you see visually. All this other stuff out here is very difficult to see. Um, so it's gonna be just this brighter region you might be able to see it in an eight inch. You would need some exceedingly dark skies, um, but it's always worth a shot. The worst thing that's gonna happen is you're not gonna see it and that's the end of it. So whatever. Um, so give it a shot. If you see it, awesome. If you don't, 
darker skies or a bigger telescope. That's pretty much it. Um, it always drives me nuts when people are like, no, you can't do that here. It, it's impossible. Okay, well, if you try and it doesn't work out, all the thing, the only thing you wasted was like five minutes. So yeah, give it a shot. Um, but a UHC filter, an O3, any of those would probably work. If you have a, if you have one of those crazy night vision things you can hook up to a telescope, like a couple of friends of mine have, no problem. Put a hydrogen alpha filter on that, throw that in there, end of story. But if you don't have two or three grand to drop into a night vision um, system for your telescope, then yeah, just give it a shot. Uh, let's see. I like your use of the Stellarium planetary software. Yes, uh, Stellarium is what we've been using uh, tonight. Not tonight. Um, is what we've been using. That's been that planetarium software. It's a free software you can get online. You can control telescopes with it too. I don't know the protocols on how to make that work. I have customers that use it on our EQ6 mounts and various other mounts. So uh, give that a shot. Uh, next question. What is the minimum exposure time to capture bubble nebula with an ADED? Um, you know, the exposure time can vary uh, because it depends on the filter that you're using. Um, I normally, you can glimpse it probably in 60 seconds. Uh, if you have a narrowband filter um, and one of these more sensitive cameras like you know, the monochrome cameras that are on the market today or a ZWO camera or something like that. You've got one of those like multi-band, narrow-band filters. It wouldn't take much to glimpse it. Uh, Five-minute exposures like what you see here with an H-alpha filter, it's just easy. So um, just give it a shot. Just experiment with it. Um, everything's going to take, every setup's going to be different. Every camera's different. Every filter combo is going to be different. Your location's different, just give it a shot. But if you've got some narrow band filters, the bubble nebula shouldn't be too much of a challenge. So, all right, guys, that's pretty much it for the, um, let me get through the end of here. There we go. Um, that's pretty much it for us uh, this week. Uh, thanks again for watching. I hope you like these. This is what we're going to be doing on the first Friday of every month of what's up in the sky, what to check out. Um, again, next month we're going to be doing, or next month, next week we're going to be doing that holiday guide. So if you've got someone who's unsure on what to get or what to pay attention to for the first telescope for like a small child, or maybe that, you know, big fancy eyepiece you've always wanted, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, we're going to be talking about all that next week. So uh, thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. Uh, stay safe and. If, if you've got clear skies, go out and view. So take care, everyone. Have a good weekend, and we will see you all next Friday.